Welcome to the Gym Owners Business Podcast with Mel Tempest. The Gym Owners Business Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Thomas Plummer, MyZone, Creative Fitness Marketing, and All Smiles Creative. The Gym Owners Business Podcast is part of the Gym Owners Business Network, which is the industry's go-to online hub designed to better service the needs of fitness business owners. The Gym Owners Business Network is currently finalising foundation memberships, so if you're a fitness business that would like to gain valuable and extensive exposure to the Australian and global fitness industries, then head to gymownersbusinessnetwork.net to find out more. Hello, this is Robert Capuccio, the Director of Coaching for the Institute of Motion. So the question is... What is it that health clubs can do to deal with the growing obesity crisis? And I believe that question is so large and complex. People can make an argument that in some cases it's unfair, but just because it's unfair does not make it any less critical. And we have to be open to at least dialoguing about this because it has not only profound implications for the growing obese population, but for our industry as a whole, not just in how we deal with obese people, but how we deal with people in general, who we are for them and who they are for us. And I think one of the most significant yet largely discounted elements of human behavior change is the effect that environment has on us. So the first one is environment. So in the United States, this, this is a good example because I, I think it reflects the abysmal statistics and rather discouraging statistics around human behavior. 97% of everyone who has bypass surgery or, or a little bit over that number actually develops new blockages within just a couple of years. So a while back, Dr. Dean Ornish, taking a look at this and being quite perplexed by these stats, conducted a study consisting of about 194 patients. And these patients needed bypass surgery, but instead of having them go through bypass surgery, he put them through an experiment where one group would get all of the normal interventions that people in this situation get. So they're given information and guidance on how to quit smoking, how to adapt. Um, back then, it was low-fat diet. Where, and then you have a control group who was given you know, no interventions at all, just reporting you know, back on the results, which were none, by the way. And another group was just given stress reduction techniques like yoga, meditation, and put into a support group where they could talk about their challenges and what they're going through with people who were in the same exact situation participating in the study. Well, three years after the study, Dr. Dean Ornish found that 77% of the patients that were put into the support group maintained lifestyle changes, and that is, compared with what the numbers usually are, nothing short of extraordinary. And, And I think when you take a look at these numbers, National Institute of Health puts out pretty much the same stats on weight loss. 97% of everyone who says that their goal is to lose weight, either fail to lose the weight or keep it off for a span of five years. And I think traditionally, you would look at these people and go, what is wrong with 97% of the people? Where in coaching, uh, appreciative inquiry looks at what's right with the 3% of the people that actually do succeed. And there are a lot of variables and there's a lot of ways you can look at that. But if you want it to be ruthless and break it down to the lowest common denominator, it is habits. And a lot of times with habits, where we go wrong 
is we make the mistake of going too big. And if, if this morning um, I was in a meeting, a very large meeting with Sports Singapore out here in Singapore, what a coincidence. And one of the themes of the meeting is if you want to go big, think small. Small is big, and that is absolutely correct when it comes to habits. So one of the things that we could offer is community. I, I think a lot of people who are obese feel very uncomfortable in the gym for a lot of valid reasons. And no matter how we frame those reasons, it, it doesn't put us in their position. And I don't think it helps much. And, and I know that you know me having physical deformities when I was a child, going into the gym was brutal. And, and I almost did not do it. So maybe a group exercise class, not around exercise, but maybe around the lowest common denominator, around group support, where people can go in there and just talk about the prospect of exercise. And I, I know that sounds insane because we're an industry of diehard exercise enthusiasts. You don't talk about exercise. It's almost like Fight Club. You do exercise. But deep breathing and meditation exercises to mitigate the, the stress hormone effect on behavior and the anxiety of even walking into that environment and from there being allowed to work within an organically developing culture within our facility where they can converse with one another, get support from one another and safety as well and then make micro decisions with one another, I think might be extremely helpful. And the other component of this is when somebody comes into the health club or the gym, and this is not an accusation because I know a lot of you do not do this or you definitely do not do this intentionally, maybe the overall purpose shouldn't be to sell them a membership, but to help them make a decision, any decision that initially gets them started and try to put ourselves in the framework where, no, you cannot have what we really want you to have for us or what we think you should have, but you can have what you truly want. And we will do it on your terms and your pace and maybe engage in a little bit more motivational interviewing and maybe a little bit less conventional selling. I personally, my bias is that that will not decrease but increase the probability of making a sale because it will respect autonomy. People do not like to be coerced into decisions and there are two types of decisions. There are controlled and autonomous and autonomous decisions seem to not only have, I think, greater commitment initially, but this, the research shows greater long-term adherence where controlled, whether you're trying to inspire and reward or threaten people or point out the consequences, doesn't seem to have as much engagement, surprise, surprise. And it doesn't seem to hold up in terms of long-term adherence and has a higher level of recidivism, which is not what we're looking for. And even if somebody's not gonna join the gym today, you know, in, in the age of apps, there's an app for everything. What can we do to support them and keep in touch with them and provide them resources to be a little bit more resourceful in making the micro changes that will lead them to bigger decisions and maybe joining a health club a little bit later down the road if they're absolutely not ready now. 
And, and, and I think, you know, if, if we can have those resources and, and not believe that all support must live within our four walls, I mean, think about the potential of that, about supporting people, creating a loyal base of, of customers that feel that we truly care and we're offering valid, viable resources, even though they're not coming into the gym. Think about the future implications for that, where you walk into our facility, you're going to get a level of help whether you join the facility or not. It's just a matter of whether you're gonna get good, better, or best. How you engage with us is up to you. And I think that's critical because you know, we have a belief, or at least I had a belief, that if somebody walks into the club, they're ready to join, and I'm gonna do whatever I can to make sure that happens. And you know, sometimes that really works out, and other times I wonder how many people that I push prematurely, and not only did they not join my gym, but I interfered in their decision to join any gym. Because if you take a look at the trans-theoretical model of change, there are a few reasons why people might walk into a gym, even if they're absolutely not ready that day, and no matter what level of change they're at, especially the obese population, it took a lot for them to walk into the gym. So if you sit in front of me, I'm gonna help you no matter what. It, it's just a matter of what are you prepared to do today? If I lead you to decisions and respect autonomy, my personal experience and my guess would be our, our closing ratios would go up, not down, and the experience for the person at the other end of that table would be enhanced. Um, my, my advice for trainers getting into the fitness industry, <laughs> don't study so much about the human body that you neglect the human being that resides within it. With all your studying on functional anatomy, physiology, and nutritional sciences, which are all critical, there needs to be a little bit of a study of psychology, about coaching, behavior change, and we need to cultivate some intrinsic factors like empathy. And I'm not saying we feel for people, but we feel with them, which is deeper, it's more pervasive, it's more beneficial, and a lot of times our assumptions are deterrence. Let, let me just let me just share something, you know, really fast. I hope I'm not going over my time here, but there, there is there is someone out there who I have a ton of respect for, and her name is Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, and she wrote the book The Deepest Well. And th there's an excerpt I want to read you from The Deepest Well, and she's citing doctors Vincent Folletti and Robert Anda and the data that they reported from 17,421 people involved in what's now referred to as the ACE study, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And in this, I'm reading, quote, Folletti, one of the researchers, was excited by the outcomes, but the high dropout rate was puzzling. Hmm, does that sound familiar to anyone listening to this? Now, now this gets interesting. If it had been the patients who were still early in the process, the attrition would have been understandable. After all, the fasting regimen they committed to was challenging. But the strange part was that the dropout rate was highest among the most successful patients, the ones who had stuck with it the longest and seen the best results. Just as they were reaching their ideal weights when they should have been celebrating their hard-won goals, these successful patients suddenly disappeared. Now, is that interesting to you? Because to Nadine Harris, that was extraordinarily 
interesting and very perplexing as it was to Vincent Folletti. And by by interviewing some of these people, particularly the, the story of Patty in this study, what he found out is that a disproportionately high percentage of these people who were overweight in the study and losing extraordinary amounts of weight, and they were literally on the other side of success, and something happened because so many of those people had experienced some form of violent abuse, traumatic abuse, usually sexual abuse as a child. And Patty, who had completely transformed her physical health and her physical appearance, she was a nurse, and one of her patients commented on how attractive she was and flirted with her, and it triggered her back to the incident that caused her obesity in the first place. And that was, sadly in her case, um, molestation by um, one of her immediate family members. And so for her, subconsciously, becoming overweight, um, obese even, was a way to prevent anyone from ever finding her attractive and harming her or abusing her again. So in her case, being obese was not her problem. It was her solution to a much bigger, much more traumatic problem. Imagine us sitting in front of her and going, well, Patty, you've just got to be more motivated you know, you just, you just got to commit. You don't want it badly enough. Just stop snacking. Use some discipline. Can you imagine having that conversation with this person? And I cannot. And, and that's the point. I think a lot of our attribution errors, they're not only false, which stop us from connecting and prescribing with any precision, they're also very damaging and they can keep more people out of our industry than invite than we invite in. And so that would be my advice to a brand new trainer. Yes, study all the areas that you're passionate about because they're critical, but maybe first start with to create a frame of primacy around human behavior and, and empathy and understanding that sometimes the things that our clientele, our members struggle with are not as cut and dry as we tend to believe.